0: Hey everyone, it's Jules. You're listening to Inherited, a podcast about young people and the climate crisis. We've never really talked about the name of our show, you know, Inherited, but its meaning feels especially fitting for the stories we're sharing in this episode because today we're talking about legacy. And I don't mean legacy in the financial sense of the word, you know, some sort of money you inherit from a dead relative or getting into the college your mom went to. The kind of legacy we're talking about is the sort of world each generation passes on to the next. And maybe to complicate the term a little bit, how each generation learns and plays and communes and grows and tells stories with those generations that have come before and those who come next. Storyteller Denali Sai'i Nalamalapu gets at the heart of this question in today's first story. Denali is a queer South Indian American writer artist and communicator from maine currently living in washington dc her family is from andhra Pradesh, india this is considering new life during climate catastrophe
1: if someone told you
0: to jump off a cliff would you do it no but there is something to be said about leaping into the unknown that's what our podcast outside in is all about It's a safer way to explore all the weird, wonderful, and uncomfortable questions you have about the natural world. Like, what's it like to decompose?
2: All of the germs and bacteria is saying, okay baby, we gotta get rid of this person.
3: Or, why the hell do we have lawns? Who the hell needs five acres of ornamental grass? I'm Nate Hedgie,
0: host of Outside In a podcast where curiosity and the natural world collide. Sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's ridiculous, but it's always a wild journey. That's outside slash in from New Hampshire Public Radio.
3: While change may not happen overnight, the movement for a more just society is gaining momentum. Tune in to Crooked Media's Pod Save the People where every week you can learn about the stories that are impacting communities of color from people of color. With hosts DeRay McKesson, Kaya Henderson, Miles Johnson, and Diara Ballinger, Pod Save the People gives an exciting blend of politics, culture, and social issues all in one place. From book censorship to discussing Beyonce's impact on society, tune in to Pod Save the People every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform.
4: Can you say this is climate change? Is this the climate Is this the
2: climate crisis? <laughs> the climate crisis. Climate crisis. Climate crisis. Climate crisis.
4: I'm Denali. I'm 26, and I'm coming out as a fan of children. Before this year, I felt intimidated by kids. They were often so loud, brutally honest, and totally unpredictable. I also felt weary of societal pressure on me to take care of kids just because I was born female. In the summertime, I resented how the boys played sports, while me and the girls were expected to take care of children. But that's changed over the past year. With the help of some great kids I've been around in my neighborhood, I've let go of my fear and pride and opened myself up to friendship with kids. And it's been awesome. I've learned and grown so much from being friends with kids. I've learned not to take offense when a kid bluntly expresses their feelings and needs. I've delighted at the rampant hypocrisy and confusion of the adult world. I've enjoyed pecking around the yard, looking for fun rocks and flowers. When I see the kids in my life interact with their moms, I feel a deep wish to have the same connection with my own little being. Sometimes I feel a vacant space in between my arms or on my hip where I imagine a child might be someday. But here's the catch. I'm a climate activist, I'm queer, I'm brown, I'm a second-generation immigrant. I've experienced how unjust the world is and how terrifying things are going to get if we don't address climate change immediately. I'm terrified of bringing another life into this world. I'm also a very sensitive person. The idea that my child might be as sensitive as I am My endure, what I've endured mentally, emotionally, and physically, by simply existing in this world, fills me with anxiety. And then I interact with one of the kids and parents in my life, and I think about how lucky society is to have a curious, vivacious, kind, and loving being in it hopefully one that might decide to make some things better. I want to be a part of that miracle so bad. I know lots of people my age are facing the same dilemma and seeking answers from elders who have children at this moment in time. I reached out to an incredible pair of humans I knew would have some thoughts on the matter. I know them through my work in the climate movement, specifically because one of them was my boss turned friend. Rafa Kidvai is the parent of two-and-a-half-year-old Mika. They work in the reproductive rights movement. They were raised in Pakistan and currently live in Brooklyn, New York, near their best friend and chosen sister, Thanu Yakupatiya Gay. The two have a podcast called Bad Brown Aunties where they uplift the worldly power of the auntie.
5: Hi, this is Rage. And you're listening to Bad Bad Brown Aunties. Aunties. Over the last few weeks...
4: Thanu is Mika's godparent and a big part of Mika's chosen family. She works in the climate justice and immigrant rights movement. She was raised in Sri Lanka and Thailand. I wanted to talk to them for this story because they have shown me what adulthood can look like when sisterhood, queerness, and community are centered, rather than the heteronormative, isolated, nuclear family future I fear. Rafa and Thanu clicked immediately. Here they are remembering the first time they met.
5: Thanu and I met at Logan Airport, our first day in the United States as we headed off to Hampshire College. and. We were both a little mousy, um, me less so, shockingly, because I am definitely the mouse now. And I asked Kanu to go get a bag of crisps with me. And it was quite lovely because as an international student, it was really nice to say crisps as opposed to potato chips or whatever.
2: And we got salt and vinegar crisps, which continues to be our favorite crisps to this day, even though now we call it chips. And
5: then, yeah, we took a bus together and were forever connected by our joint hatred of someone, which is like one of two ways in which you can build intimacy with someone, you know?
4: The main reason I wanted to talk to Rafa and Thanu is that they are both fellow queer people who are raising a child in a chosen family. When I think about the future of this planet, one of my main sources of hope lies in communal living and queer spaces. I've noticed that many adults value their romantic relationships and family above all, leaving their relationships with their friends less tended to. And as they age, friends come and go, so they can't always count on them in times of serious need. I don't think humanity has a chance at surviving this crisis, let alone coming out of it stronger in the isolated models of heteronormative family we default to now. But in many queer spaces, community is sacred and people take care of one another. I want a future where what's mine is ours, where I live in a community that cares for collective needs rather than individual desires. Growing up in Pakistan, Rafa experienced the joys of chosen family.
5: I grew up with so much chosen family that really, really cared for me, loved me. I was often closer to, um, and really kind of wanted a child that had the same experience on the chosen family front in terms of having multiple adults that they can trust, that they can go to um, should they need things. And for me, like, I don't think I fully understood the value of it till I was a little bit older. Maybe I mean I enjoyed it a lot as a child. My godfather was the joy of my life. He's the reason I love a fried egg. You know, there's like there's ways in which they shaped me. One
1: oh, for Mika and Mama, one for Babu Chacha, and one for Ama and Mika.
6: Thank you so much for making sure that we all get fireworks. Okay, here's
1: one for Babu Chacha.
4: Mika is very close with Thanu, as you hear in this clip. They store all their musical toys at Thanu's house, what has become the music house. Thanu is a DJ.
2: When they come here, they're always like sort of banging on the drums and stuff and yeah, they like really want to learn how to DJ. So I gave them one lesson, and that was super cute. Their,
5: their DJ name is DJ Honeybiscuit. Also, for the longest time, they called Thanu gay and not DJ because they just couldn't pronounce it. And it was the funniest thing. Amma DJ, Mika DJ. Like they really wanted to be one.
4: Rafa and Thanu's story of two international students coming to this country without family and building a family together makes me think of how weird I feel when people say it's unethical to have a child during the climate crisis, mainly white people. I get that odd feeling every time a group of white people tells the rest of the world what they shouldn't do. Sounds like inherited trauma from colonialism, huh? Many white people have spoken out about not having kids because of climate change, but I haven't heard from many queer people and people of color. And I wonder, what are they thinking? Working in reproductive justice and having a close friend in the climate movement, Rafa was surrounded by conversations about the ethics of bringing new life into the world before they were
5: pregnant. I had to contend with the question of, like, do I want to carry another life, you know, onto Earth? um, An Earth that's sick and being mistreated, sort of. But it somehow never quite sat right with me, that argument. And so I still kind of made that decision. I mean, I get it. I get that. It's not that I, I don't understand the concern. I think it's an important concern. I think the part that never sat right with me is I struggle with... Prescriptive narratives around not having children, especially with communities of color. Um, I think it's a really dangerous sort of slope. And I also think that, like, we need connection and relationships and love and. There's something really beautiful about that. And also it's a source of solidarity and power and resistance. And so it can't be the only answer that like new babies being born are somehow just a sort of burden on the planet. There has to be more than that.
2: A lot of the, a lot of this discourse around like, oh, you know, having a kid is irresponsible. Like it falls on like communities of color and it's a really dangerous trope, right? Because a lot of the, basis of like particularly the U.S. environmental movement and climate movement is rooted in population control. And that often is a restriction primarily of people of color and immigrants and black and brown folks and indigenous folks and their access to reproductive rights. It's not having kids that it's the problem. It's the fossil fuel industry that's the problem.
4: Growing up in Pakistan, Rafa saw the blatant hypocrisy of colonizing forces Simultaneously extracting vital resources from the country and telling poor people in the global south that they shouldn't have kids because they can't provide for them. Communities like Rafa's in Pakistan, Thanu's in Sri Lanka, and mine in India have experienced apocalyptic conditions due to colonization. They know how to survive and surviving is what humanity will seek as the climate crisis gets worse. When you look at history from that angle, to say it's unethical to have children during a climate crisis, point blank, is just ignorant. There's so much more nuance, and there's so much to learn. Like, how did these people survive and live on? through community care and new generations.
5: Building trust beyond blood is such an important lesson because what it teaches you is that what's useful is connection and intimacy and people show you with time whether they're trustworthy. This idea of Tanu being both a friend and family, like Mika would share their last French fry with Tanu, right? And I think that there's something really special about teaching a child that really early about, about who gets to share space with you and that, it's, and that just because someone is blood, for instance, doesn't mean they're safe and just because someone is chosen family doesn't mean they won't resource your life. Like, I imagine that if something happened to me financially and I needed financial support, the reason I would float is because Tana would make it happen.
2: Yeah, I've learned a lot about like kindness and boundaries from Mika, but like it actually makes like me feel like it is possible to have a a queer future that is kind, and kinder potentially than the world we live in now.
3: Sixty degrees in
2: February. Can you say Mm -hmm. stop
3: fossil fuels?
1: Oh my
4: yes, yeah, stop with talking to Rafa and Thanu has both made me want to have a kid more badly because Mika seems to bring them so much joy, and it makes me feel less fussed about it because Mika isn't Thanu's biological kid, but they have a beautiful, rich relationship. I love being part of other kids' lives. You get to have all the fun times with them and deal with very few of the hard and exhausting times that are inevitable in child rearing. Also, being pregnant, giving birth, the process of adopting a kid, all these things are no joke. It's nice to just play. I love experiencing the intimacy of deep community. It feels rare these days, especially during a pandemic and as I live in a big city. I truly don't know if I'll have a kid one day, but I do know that I will foster a strong queer community around me no matter where I end up.
0: You can follow Rafa on Twitter at rkidvai and Thanu on Twitter and Instagram at ty__ushka. They have a podcast called Bad Brown Aunties. You can listen to the first season at badbrownaunties.com. You can follow Denali on Twitter at denali__sai and subscribe to their climate newsletter, Entropy Inherited. Like the repercussions of a changing climate, our language has the ability to transcend and permeate from generation to generation. The next and final storyteller explores this transformative power of language and the way it is preserved, learned, forgotten, remembered, and inherited. Shaylin Martos works to provide better representation of LGBTQ plus and indigenous people in their current role at YR Media. A producer, editor, and host they have been honored as an NPR Next Generation radio mentee. Off the clock, Shaylin can be found reading speculative fiction, cooking their favorite tremora foods, or playing D&D. And now, I'll pass it over to Shaylin for the final story of the season. It's called, Our Language is Our Mother's Gift.
3: Háfadei hámzú torus. Guahusi hú si Giza, Oakland, California. Hello, all. My name is Shaylin and I live in Oakland, California. My family is from Guam in the Mariana Islands. My people are Chamoru, the indigenous people of Guam and the northern Mariana Islands. Our home is a Micronesian paradise. Imagine. Water so clear, warm, and inviting that you cannot help but run in to feel the tossy envelop you in love. Imagine jungles of the most verdant and fragrant tropical flora, of creatures both familiar and unfamiliar. Carabao with long fur and horns, crows that call with the knowledge of ancient tongues. Imagine the smell of fiesta food and the sulfur of fireworks in island celebrations. For over 3,500 years, Chamorros have sailed and stewarded the closest land to the deepest part of the ocean. We've maintained a sacred relationship with our land and sea, even through 600 years of Spanish colonization, Japanese occupation, and American militarization. Because the tenets of our culture of gratitude and reciprocity clash against the imperialist powers that hope to silence us, they desecrate the land, poison our water, shoot bullets through our forests. Indigenous people across the Pacific Islands contribute the least to climate change, but are forced to live with its disastrous effects, including rising tides, coral bleaching, and straight nuclear testing. Most of my family left our home, but the U.S. military is still there. We are spread across the states, often far from one another. And that's what's most important to Chamorro's family. We support and uplift our community because we know the pain of stolen lives, land, and language. So when I learned there's a professor from the University of Guam in the Guam Museum offering Chamorro classes online and for free, I immediately signed up. Over a hundred others spend their Saturday mornings in Guam with the CNMI or Friday afternoons stateside, learning and practicing tomorrow with our senior, Dr. Michael Lujan-Bavakwa. These classes give me much more than the basics of a language shamed and beaten from my people. They are a chance to share our stories, our culture, our wisdom. We're building community, healing from the devastation that has already happened, and building resilience for the difficult, climate-charged years to come. One of my classmates, Linda Calvo, reached out to me, eager to share her experience learning tomorrow later in life. She remembers wonderful things about growing up on Guahan in the 60s, till her job as a flight attendant took her across the world.
1: I grew up at a time when family was extremely important, and um, we had community. We had a lot of community. had a lot of family gatherings, fiestas, so much to do, so many things to, to see, and you know that song, in America they say, how are you? In the Philippines, kamustakayo. But when you are in Guam, you simply say, half a day, half a day. You know that song. Have you heard it? Well, actually, I'd always wanted to learn our language. But as a as a young person, we weren't allowed to speak our language. It was against the law. There were signs, English only. I tried to speak Chamorro, but it was not allowed in school, not allowed on the playground, and um, you didn't really have permission to speak the language in public places. And I did not speak it at home. My parents spoke to each other in Chamorro, but they spoke to us in English.
3: A large part of why Linda's family did not speak the language was because her mother was a teacher and her father was the mayor of the village, domining.
1: The late 60s, we had the Vietnam War, so it was pretty, pretty bad. Always having the bombs going up the island from Naval Air Station to um, Anderson Air Force Base. I remember when we were drinking pure water and we were going to the freshwater pools and stuff like that. And now it's so sad that everybody's drinking processed, filtered water and all that. And the toxicity on our waters is very scary to me. In fact, I'm being treated for cancer right now. And my toxicity level was very high. And I I say that that's probably from growing up on the island with all the toxic stuff that was going on with the military and, and all that. Probably from growing up and having the 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 waters were were being were being poisoned in a way. Actually, I do feel it in the class. I feel that there is a revival. I do have that feeling of people wanting to connect with each other, as you call it, the inafamali, to make things good to make things right and that is part of the the old the old ways you know but uh, i feel now that their people are have a lot of pride and are trying to learn about the culture and as they're learning about the culture they're feeling like they're finding themselves in fact that was an issue i had was not knowing really who i am inside and uh, i think i'm still in that process of discovering myself as everybody else is You know, so when we connect to our language and to our culture and to our island, we are connecting to our ancestors and into our past. And we're reaching back into the past and bringing it forward to the future. You see what I'm saying? The island itself cannot stand alone. We don't have the... numbers and we don't have the land and we don't have that but we do have our culture and we have our peoples just like the american indians the indians in alaska and all the native people all over the world and we need to have the pride in our origins no matter where we are in the world we can carry a piece of our island with us you know so when we connect to our language and to our culture and to our island. We are connecting to our ancestors.
3: I walked away from my conversation with Miss Linda feeling an odd sense of peace. The pressure of immediate danger to our island and our people is heavy. At the same time, I'm grateful to have the chance to connect, share, and laugh, especially with someone of her generation. Señora Dorothy Castro Pokaigi grew up and raised her daughter in Guam. She's a retired educator who now spends her days caring for her one-year-old grandson. We call elders in our community auntie or uncle, but in this case, she actually is my auntie, related through my grandmother's extended family.
2: So, ah, uh, Nanau, see Dorothy Castro Pokaigi, in tau-tau dedido, And that's the extent of my fluent tomorrow. Then I have to go (laughs) upling. My culture has always been very important to me. The rites, the rituals and the, and, and the, you know, the celebrations and all of that, the family, those concepts are ingrained in me. Again, it's just that I can't express them in, in the language. So I'm learning. The desire to speak Chamorro is very strong in me now because I want to be able to pass it on to my grandson. For all intents and purposes, the Chamorro language should have died hundreds of years ago. But why it's lived is because of the Chamorro mothers. Probably unknowingly, they kept the language alive because that was their language to their children. It, because it was a matrilineal society, the matriarchs were in charge. So they spoke what the mother spoke. And it was through those years, through that lineage, that the language was able to persevere. Of course, the Japanese didn't want them to say anything. And, of co- and, and the Americans wanted to make sure that the, that the Chamorro uh, people were sufficiently oppressed so that they can be able to, re- to control the resources, which is the land and the sea. And now, look. You know it's going full circle, even a lot of the tomorrow's unfortunately the tomorrows here in the states are the ones that are resisting ah why do we need tomorrow it's not going to be it's of course it's not a language of, of commerce it's not a language of of world of business use or, or of of world uh, for world recognition, but it is a language that keeps a people a, a, a group of people alive and it's something that we're we're proud of. And I'm getting better. My fluency is getting better. As you can tell, I like to talk. I like to talk story. Yes, yes, we are definitely storytellers. So, esta aquí, Shailen. Adios. Say hi to your mother for me.
3: Auntie Dorothy touched on my favorite aspect of our history, matrilineal society. how tomorrow resistance to colonization, militarization, and climate change flows through the mothers to their children and their children's children. Taryn Ugin grew up on Guam, she's from the village of Talampago, and grew up surrounded by Chamorro speakers, even if she couldn't always talk back. She left for college stateside, like many of our generation and younger, and started her family here. But she's been feeling out of touch with her identity.
6: In my first uh, stretch out here, coming out for college, I had major culture shock, and uh, one that I did not anticipate that I would experience. It was really big for me. Um, yeah, actually, my uh, my wife is tomorrow. She's from Guam too, um, and uh, our our fathers actually grew up on the same street. They grew up together. So, she and I have known each other since we were um, younger. We played ball together too, back on the island before we came
3: out to go to college. Taryn now lives with her wife and their daughter, Talon, in Northern California. It's an intergenerational home. Before starting preschool, Talon's primary caregiver was her grandma. So,
6: as far as the language goes, um, my mother absolutely speaks Chamorro. She also speaks English. And it was one of those, it's, it's the very common thing that you see in families on uh, from, you know, with her generation and stuff where it's um, she and her mother would talk tomorrow because my grandmother talked tomorrow and um, could um, like automatically turn it off when she's talking to us. In the beginning, there was a, almost like a sense of uh, embarrassment and shame and guilt about signing up for a class um, of a language that should have been so natural to me and, And it was in the beginning, right, of my life, the first half of my life. And then it wasn't. And there were moments in in my adult life living out here that it started to feel like I had lost a sense of identity. And for me, a strong part of it is language. And so in the most simplest of terms, I think my favorite phrase is put for bot. It just means please. So like, for example... As a kid, you hear we're, we're running around, we're getting dirty and doing things and it's time to eat. And my grandmother would say can I, before, like she's giving me a directive, but there's a relationship, like we're saving relationships here. It's about the relationship. Our culture stems, like it's rooted in generosity and giving and being there for others. And so in kind of like my quest for um, myself like really finding my true authentic self as uh a, as a gay person and um you know as as a Chamorro person um I felt that this was the only way to really start my journey was through language and and the language you know it it would do a lot. It would let me hear the stories of those before me. And it would allow me to pass on those stories in a way that they told it, not in the way that I interpreted their stories to be. Um, And, and it continues, although I'm a million, not a million, but so far away. um, I feel that this is the one way to truly stay connected because I'm not very certain when we'll return home. Um, And it's, it's the one part that uh, I felt like I've had to like really work on in terms of our culture and my, and my identity. And so, seven generations from now, right? Speaking in those terms, like, um, I, I would, I would love to ensure that my child knows where we're from, and who we are, and that we definitely have a place in this world as much as anybody else.
3: For thousands of years, the cornerstones of our culture, community, gratitude, reciprocity, and Afamaulik, apply to the people, of course, but just as much for the Hanum Tano Tzanaire. Our island home is ours to protect, as it provides for us. But the American military continues to bulldoze the ancient limestone forest of Latexan to finish five Air Force firing ranges on our ancestral land dangerously close to the primary water source on island. Bullets fly across what once was the habitat of so many of our non-human neighbors, endemic to Guahan and the Marianas. And it's hard for many of us to ask for help because even in a culture based on reciprocity, we have been conditioned to suffer in silence. What Taryn said about language being the first step towards not just your people but yourself, (laughs) that hit hard. And it was a common theme with these three women from three different generations. Who are we if we are not here for each other? So I'm doing my best to try and create space within my life for, yes, the language, but also everything that comes with it. Like the smile on my mom's face when I tell her who guides how, and she sings it back to me or the talks with my cousins about the organizing efforts to protect Latexin. Introducing my chosen family to our food, ordering some to shred the chicken for Kalequin while I make tetejas, and practicing for when I have my own family. And my children and their children and their children's children, however far they may be, will know the words and legends of their people. We're storytellers after all. Asainam Asi for listening to our stories. people Guahan, CNMI, Isla Pacifica, Oceania, Zenfino
0: If you want to follow Shailen and their work, their handle is at Shailen Martos on all social media platforms, and their website is Shalinmartos.com. Inherited is brought to you by YR Media, a national network of young journalists and artists creating content for this generation. We're distributed by Critical Frequency, a woman-run podcast network founded by journalists. Considering New Life During Climate Crisis was written and reported by Nali Saie Nalamalapu and sound designed by Jules Bradley. Special thanks to Denali's little friends, Juniper, Camille, Mona, and Monica, for giving them joy and play. And to Thanu and Rafa for their time, candor, and vulnerability. Our language is our mother's gift was written and read by Shaylin Martos and sound designed by Georgia Wright. Special thanks from Shaylin, quote, to my mother and the mothers before her, Krutehi Texan and protect Guam water and to the people fighting for our ancestral land. Our co-creators and senior producers are Jules Bradley and Georgia Wright. Our executive producer is Amy Westervelt and our sound engineer is James Riley. Our director of podcasting is Ray Archie and our interns are Itchtaka Lira and Chaitanya Dendekar. Special thanks to Rebecca Martin and Kyra Kyles. Original music for this episode was created by these young musicians at YR. Christian Romo, Anders Knutstad, Noah Holt, Jacob Armenta, Chaz Whitley, Michael Diaz, and Sean Luciano Galarasa. Music direction by Oliver Cuya Rodriguez and Maya Drexler. Art for this episode created by YR's Ariam e. Michael. Art direction by Brigado Bautista and Marjorie Massacat. If you like our show, please throw us a rating or maybe even a review on the Apple Podcast app. It helps us a lot. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. And that's it for our season of Inherited. We are so grateful to each and every one of the season two storytellers. Jasmine Butler, Jasmine Hardy, Maggie Wang, Mukta Dharmapurakar, Kania Hale, Neil Lusai, Tifei Sanusi, Denali Nalamalapu, and Shaylen Martos, you have made this season more special than we could have ever imagined. If you want to learn more about this exemplary cohort of storytellers, head to our website at yr.media/inherited. And as always, special thanks to our cats, Dobby Bradley and Frodo Scully Wright. See you next season.